that's when I realized that putting fear into perspective, fear is meant to give us these great qualities of faster, stronger, more sharp in a time of crisis. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to another fun episode of the Flip My Funnel podcast. I'm here with someone very honestly, as the audience knows, I personally know each and every one of the, the folks that we have been. So we've done over 300 episodes. And I, these are just, I feel, are my friends and people that I connect with. So every single person to date are someone that either I know them, or like I've heard about them for many, many, many years, or it's just relationship and I just try to have a conversation. But for this one, someone recommended me uh, to just check, take a look at this gentleman that I'm about to share. And the things that he has gone through and doing inspired me so much that I'm like, you know what? We're just gonna do an episode. So I'm, I'm just super excited to dive in, but we're gonna get to know each other as we're doing the, the episode. And I wanted to kind of share that uh, upfront uh, with the community. So. Who we have today is, is Eric Sieverson. He is an author, speaker, adventurer, educator, entrepreneur, a whole bunch of things. And his focus seems to be that life is good and extraordinary is possible. He, he wrote a book called Ordinary to Extraordinary. So we're going to hear a little bit more about it. And we're going to jump into topics like what do you do when somebody's pointing a gun at your face? And how do you use that in a business? Right? I mean, that's the kind of stuff this guy has gone through. He's built schools. So, so I'm, I'm going to jump. We're going to jump into a whole bunch of topics here. But Eric, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you, man. Thank you, Sangram. Thank you very much for having me. And it is exciting to get to know you. I've, I've, I've seen your podcasts, listened to your podcast recently, and I feel like I already know you a little bit. And I think it's the start of great things. Awesome, man. All right. So uh, fun fact about yourself. So people get to know you a little bit more. I'm going to dive straight in to something that very few people know about. One time I was at a fancy restaurant with dinner with about 12 people. And I got into an argument with the girl to my left about who liked Godzilla more, me or her. So I remembered that I was wearing Godzilla underwear. So I proceeded to rip my boxer shorts off of my body through the top of my pants uh, in the restaurant to prove that I liked Godzilla more. And it was definitely unanimous that I liked Godzilla more than she did. Oh my goodness. I don't think anybody had that great. Now, how many years ago or months ago was this? That was probably 10 years ago. (laughs) I'd like to say say it was when I was 10, but it was about 10 years ago. Oh my goodness. That is, I don't think you, I don't think anybody has topped that uh, fun fact so far. So that is, thank you for sharing that. I think now people have a mental picture of you in a Godzilla underwear, which (laughs) that goes. Oh man. So, so you wrote the book, Ordinary to Extraordinary, which I love the topic because who likes to be ordinary, right? Like we all feel like there's something in us, but we end up having life that is for the most part ordinary, right? So what's, what got you to write about this before we jump into some of the other topics? So yeah, so actually the book kind of developed. It started with just experience I had. You mentioned one, which we might talk about later. The, I had a machine gun in my face in Nigeria. I hitchhiked from London to Zaire, which is now Central Africa, the Congo, lived with some Indians in South America, 
been to rainbow gatherings in, in, in Oregon, just different experiences living in Paris as a young man. So all of these experiences, I just wrote down personally because I thought they were interesting to me and I always liked writing. So only about four or five years ago, I just started compiling these things that I started when I was younger, never finished because I was too busy on to the next thing. And I it ended up to be 42 narratives about my life. I showed it to a book agent and the book agent said, wow, you and all your friends are going to love this. And I said, that's not a compliment, is it? And he said, no. And so I spent another year and a half reworking it for a message of how did I find meaning in these different experiences in my life? And the quick answer to that is these four pillars, which were belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. And I grouped these, I cut out half of them first because he, he really wanted to focus on the, the best. And then I rearranged of how I found meaning through these experiences. And I started off just as an awkward young kid, you know, struggling through school without really good grades. And, and then I had some big goals and people told me I couldn't reach them. And I systematically checked off pretty much every single one of these massive goals I had in my head with resistance against the current of people who kept telling me I couldn't do it. So that's when I realized an average kid from a very middle income family in Parkland, a suburb of Tacoma, Washington, ended up to do some pretty, pretty extraordinary things. And I think it's to everybody. I mean, that, that is a great, so, so share that again, belonging, storytelling, purpose, and transcendence. Transcendence. And I didn't come up with that, actually. It was a friend of mine recommended a book called The Power of Meaning by Emily Espahani Smith. And she highlights that those are the pillars of meaning. And in marketing, you can really use these. This changed the way I market because her, her pillars, again, belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. If you get somebody to feel they belong somehow, part of your group, part of your club, they want to be part of that. They feel special. They have meaning because they have a belonging. If you let them tell their story as you're marketing to them, they're going to feel a lot more engaged than you're telling your story. Um, and I love that. You know, before we started to hit record, uh, we were sharing this, right? That every Tuesday, it's a Takeover Tuesday. And somebody in the community runs the Takeover Tuesday every month. And yep. the rest of the year, there are people who are already doing interviews with amazing people. They're putting so much love, effort, and all I'm doing for them is, all right, you do the recording with the best people you know with the team, and we will do all the production for you. We'll create the graphics, we'll create the blog. And I cannot tell you how amazing it has been for me personally to just see the excitement. And, and what I've heard from them is that, man, we have a whole new level of confidence in ourselves. and we have a whole new level of engagement with these people than we ever did. Uh, some of these people we were never able to get in front of, but as soon as we shared that, hey, can we do this? They're like, yeah, they give us 30 minutes of their time. So it opened doors that they didn't see open before. So things like that, I, I feel like is, is such an important part. And I, I feel like we have been very blessed to do that. But, you know, I love that. I think you probably did it unintentionally, but it's worked out so beautifully that you've built that community of belonging for one. And also you're letting them tell their story as another one. And they're doing something now rather than marketing in their little cubicle or whatever they're doing or out there getting something and making money for themselves or for another company. Now what they're doing is they're getting a voice to share that with somebody, which is the storytelling part, but also they're doing something beyond themselves suddenly. It's a purpose. So there's a purpose beyond just good for them. And I think that's really an important ingredient in satisfaction in life is being able to help others. And you've given them that platform to do it in your community. 
I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I feel like they have given me the opportunity to not go crazy with a daily podcast and episode. And I get to read, honestly, it's a selfish thing. When I started thinking about it was, it gives me a breather to focus on the interviews I want to do. And then in between, and now I'm like, I can't wait to listen to some of these episodes and interviews these people are doing. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. What, what an ab- absolute win-win situation. And you and the, the customer, which is the listener, if we use those terms, um, are all kind of one. I was at the Social Media World Conference down in San Diego a few months ago. And the, the keynote speaker, Mark Schaefer, he said something to me that really opened my eyes. And it was, he said it to all of us, of course, thousands of us sitting there listening to the keynote speaker. But one was there was three kind of revolutions in marketing, three three things that really shook up marketing. The first was maybe the early 1900s, late 1800s, which was the end of lies. And that was when the snake oil salesman kind of, there were laws regulating what you could and could not sell in, in marketing. So the end of lies was that. The second one was the end of secrets. And that happened really when the internet took off and became commonplace. So in the early 2000s, a used car salesman, for example, now we know as much as he does about the value of that car. He, we know exactly what it costs to produce that car, how much it costs to ship it to the dealership. And before there was that secret that we didn't know. How much did it cost to make a candle? I don't know. I didn't know now, but I could research it today. So that really changed things. And then the last one where we are right now is the end of control. We know really, we don't really longer have avenues to get to market directly to people television ads. That's, you know, you know, they're still on TV, but I don't know how effective the right now it's the community with the customer. The, the customer has to become now one of our biggest marketers and with account-based marketing, it's, it's precise. We know exactly the person we need or the, the, the company we need. And if we treat them extraordinary, they're definitely going to tell the other people. And I think that's one of the best ways. So our community has become the marketers. I, I love that, man. I agree. They are the ambassadors. They are the evangelist of it. I absolutely love it. So let's jump into this idea of how did it happen? Just walk us through that, paint a picture for us of what got you into a situation where you had a gun pointed to your head. Okay. So what, um, what, I mean, in, in many ways, I mean, that's just an extraordinary situation for anybody to, to even think about. So paint that picture for us and then also tell us the lesson that you learned through it that got you to, again, in the book as well as in the conversation, I feel it will help everybody listening. Yeah, absolutely. So I was um, 19 years old when I decided I wanted to go to Africa just because I read some books from Africans that didn't really agree with my textbooks in, in school. And I'm like, I, I just want to figure it out for myself. And, you know, as a young kid, I also just, I wanted to see lions and zebras and that as well. So I just felt compelled to go to Africa. Nobody helped me with this at all. The first thing my parents said was no. I spent eight months mowing lawns to afford a ticket to London because I couldn't afford a plane ticket to Africa directly. I spent eight months trying to convince them why I should go. And in the end, I hitchhiked from London down to Zaire, like I mentioned, which is now the Congo. And so now I'm crossing the border from Benin into Nigeria, and I couldn't get across the border without a shared taxi. It's the only way I could get across it. So I'm stuffed into this little car with me and I think five people, Africans and the driver. The border crossing was a nightmare, but I thought that was the end of it. So then there was a checkpoint every few hundred yards and they would get me out of the car. They would search all my stuff. Usually it was going for a little bribe. So after three or four of these, taking maybe 45 minutes each time, the driver 
decided at one of the checkpoints not to stop. So as we get closer, he's arguing with the other people in the, in the cab, the taxi. And as soon as we got near the checkpoint, he gunned it. And one guy ran out and threw a spike board across the road in front of us. Another guy's behind us shooting his gun in the air. And so suddenly it's not come out, you know, let's get the non-African out and search his pack anymore. It was gun to my head, dragged me into a hut. And at one point he's looking down at me, yelling at, yelling that I'm a spy. And I'd been speaking pretty bad French for about a, over a month in North, North Africa and West Africa. And then Nigeria, the common language was English. So he's yelling at me in this pidgin English and I'd answer him in French and that didn't go well at all. He kept, he thought it was a spy, said that at least. And at one point, he literally stuck the machine gun inside my mouth where I could taste the, the gunpowder of the gun. And I'm looking on the floor to see if there's just piles of blood, like if this is, happens all the time or not. And it was almost kind of like an outer body experience. Well, I, I see what's happening. And I was frozen with fear. In the end, I, I, about an hour later, came to an agreement that he took my tent and I could, I could leave. He decided I wasn't a spy because he likes Americans because they, quote, give him gifts. So he takes my tent and, and I go on and get out of it. Just to finish the, the, that day, I get into Lagos now and I'm scared to death. It's just really a scary situation. I go into a dirt car park with, you know, you know a lot, just a lot of people around. Get out um, of the cab. I go to the back trunk and the c- cab driver now says to me, before my cat's in the trunk, he said, give me 30,000 CFA, Central African francs. And that's about 15 bucks or something. And I just, you know, shook my head, put my hand in my pocket and I gave him about 7,000 that I had left and he opened the trunk for me. And a guy who was in the cab walks back and he says, what are you going to do now? I said, I'm going to go to the bank, exchange some money and get out of Lagos as quickly as possible. And he shook his head and he said, today's Sunday, the banks are closed. And he hadn't seen his family for five years. And he said, if I don't take you home with me, you'll be dead before morning. And uh, so he, on the way home, he had a different idea and knocked on a a, a friend's door whom he also hadn't seen for five years and said, told him the situation. So I got pawned off at his friend. And then I spent three beautiful days in Lagos with this family that accepted me. It was a a man and three wife and three children and just eating and storytelling. and, And so three beautiful, beautiful days with this family in Lagos. And that was the first time I had this motto that I still live by, which is things work out. That's my number one motto. But now, a month and a half later or something, this was September, I think, when this happened in in Nigeria. And then I'm back at Community College, Green River College. And um, I've got a a friend ran up to me with a flyer for a job in Japan. And I was just totally stoked. I knew this job. He said, hey, Eric, this job is for you. And so I wanted it so badly. And I I sent in my application. I got an interview. And all I could think about all day long was getting this job in Japan. And then the day of the interview comes, and all of a sudden, and I prepared really well, I'm driving, I can't even feel myself, I started becoming so nervous. I get out of my car at the college, going towards the room, I'm starting to shake, all of a sudden I couldn't remember what I had prepared, and my hands are sweating, I'm walking down the hallway, maybe 100 feet from the door that I'm going to go into interview, and sweating like a dog, not knowing what to do, and a voice to me said, you know what, a month and a half ago, you had a gun in your face, this really isn't a big deal. And I took a giant breath and I said to myself, I, you're right. You know, I want this job, but I really put into perspective what a big deal was. I relaxed, went in, had a great interview and, and got the job. And that's when I realized that putting fear into perspective, fear is meant to give us these great qualities of faster, stronger, more sharp in a time of crisis. So now if I'm in a business situation where I'm going into a meeting that I'm concerned about the outcome, 
I, re, I just remember this. And I remember this fear, this tingle I'm feeling is making me a better, better and sharper, not something to be paralyzed by. And so I, I use that all the time now. Man, I'm getting goosebumps as you talk through it because you literally painted this vivid picture of the gunpowder taste in your mouth when you are faced with that danger. And in a matter of seconds, it is truly life and death. Yeah. And how much pressure we put on ourselves for small little issues, well, small little things, the petty little fights, the, the priority budget conversation, not getting something from your customer or in life, at home and with kids. And, and you, know, you just put everything in perspective saying that what's really important. And you, when you said you took a giant breath, like I could feel almost like all the listeners are probably taking a giant breath. Like that's like a big thing. It's like when you walk in, just take a giant breath before you walk into your office or your home or your customer conversation because realize that that's not the end of the world. There's many crazy things that are happening and we're all just blessed to even have the opportunity that we all have. Yeah, absolutely. And, and do you know what, Sangram? I think you're right. That giant breath we don't breathe deeply enough. I think we used to have to run around a lot. We don't anymore. I think most people do not breathe nearly deeply enough. I, um, when I'm speaking in front of a crowd, I love the fact that I get still nervous. I've done it hundreds of times probably, and I still get nervous every single time. And I, and I take a deep breath and that always prepares me better before a meeting. I take a deep breath. If I'm at work and somehow I'm feeling a little bit off, I'll literally take three deep breaths and hold my breath for 15 seconds. And suddenly I just feel somehow a little bit more right. Simple as that. Yeah, I love that. All right. All right. So let's jump into this idea of you building a school. Like what, like from that, building a school, bring us up to speed. Okay. So I, um, I was in, I, I got trained as an anthropologist. So my master's degree is anthropology. During my anthropology studies, I was sent to the, I had tuition remission, but I didn't I have living expenses. So they gave me to the English as a second language department. And I was trained by the head of the department, how to basically teach English ESL classes. Then after I graduated, I wanted to go to Thailand to fight Muay Thai, Muay Thai uh, kickboxing. And I knew I wasn't going to make any money at that. So I went back to UCLA where I went to undergrad and got certified for teaching English as a second language, end up in, in, in Thailand and taught there and absolutely loved it. Moved back to the States and taught for a while. So now um, I find myself teaching at UCLA Extension, English as a second language, loving life. I found my calling. My calling is teaching and uh, just everything's perfect. Have a young family in LA. And then I got smacked in the face by the realization that I can't support my family in Los Angeles with my teaching salary. And so I, I had to go against my calling and reluctantly went into business and absolutely loved it. I just dug it so much. And in, so I went into business for 10 years. And in that time, I got really turned on to things, you know, between Tony Robbins, Brennan Bouchard, of course, the Napoleon Hill, all the classical stuff on all of these little formulas for success. And, and then I decided, I realized, you know what, nobody's using these in education. So, mm. how, so I, I wanted to go back to where I was contributing directly again to the uh, human, changing individual humans' lives. And I knew teaching wasn't going to be it. Um, it had to be bigger than that. And so I decided to integrate all of these business skills into uh, education. So started just, and it's just still a tiny little school, but it feels so good to wake up one morning 
open my inbox and have an email from one of my students saying how this thing happened because of something that we went over the week prior to that. And, wow. and uh, so, so basically it's integrating. I want, I got it. I created the school to give, to really make a change. And I integrated all of the business techniques into it because that's one thing that they're, that they're not getting in education in English as a second language, particularly is my niche. Yeah, I, I totally get it, man. Um, as I was sharing before we started record, just interviewed Daniel Pink. And, you know, most people know him as a you know, prolific writer. He's written Drive and all these kind of incredible books, the, the New Mind. And recently he wrote a book called When. And he said that when was the last time you knew or heard about sales as a topic in academia? And yeah doesn't exist, right? Like, and, and sales is by far, you're like, you know, you're doing that on a regular basis every day. You're selling to yourself, selling to others, selling to family, selling to customers, selling within team meetings. It doesn't matter what your job role is. You are selling your idea to somebody else for some reason. So I think the whole idea of academia and the things that are looked upon and even marketing, how quickly marketing has changed. And if people and professors are not adopting what's happening or bringing real world examples, they're missing out a big time, robbing pretty much students of what's really happening in the marketplace. You know what? I think it's really sad that um, I'll, I'll make a lot of people angry by saying education is so far behind when it comes to ironically learning. Marketers have figured out that we need that emotional connection with our customer. If there isn't that emotional connection, there's not going to be a transaction for sure. And in education, a hundred people in a, out of a hundred are going to argue to me that they're bringing emotion into the classroom. The fact is a lot aren't with kind of some stale ideas about how to trick people into thinking that they're being emotional or using emotion, but to really get to the deep level of somebody connecting emotionally with a, a topic of education isn't happening. When you're in a class of 30 students, most of those students think that they're in the subject of English. If English is thought of as a subject, you've already failed. English needs to be thought of as a tool. It's a skill, not a subject. It's a language, not a subject. And so they get caught up into that. They're, they want to teach the points of A, B, and C and figure out how the, between the, the grammar, the speaking, the listening, and things like that. But when it becomes a subject, it's not applying to anything real. We need to remind them exactly what they're using that English for daily, not even, not even weekly, monthly, at the start of the class, daily. That's fantastic. All right, man. So I'm going to summarize like a bunch of notes over here into maybe top two or three. And then I would love for you to give a challenge to every listener because I'm, I'm literally assuming people are sitting at the edge of their seats if they're driving or working or whatever because that story like is pretty riveting. So, so first of all, check out, I'm going to go right now after this. I should have, but I didn't in complete transparency. I need to go read Ordinary to Extraordinary. Now that we have talked and connected, now I see the reason for me to go there. So thank you for sharing that. This four pillar, and I didn't really put this together before, or I have not read The Power of Meaning, but this belonging, storytelling, purpose, and transcendent sounds pretty much what every person wants in their life. They want to belong to a something. They want to, we all remember stories, not data, not facts, but actual stories like you share. We all want to have purpose in life. Otherwise, we feel things are not going and we want to go beyond where uh, our potential uh, and see. So I, I totally dig that and I see that as a big learning. I love what you shared about Mark Schaefer. So I need to go back and, and dig in where that presentation was. This 1900 end of lies 
2000 end of secrets and maybe 2010, 2020 end of control. I think there's a lot of, lot of legs to that, that whole talk track. So I want to check this out because I, you're absolutely right. These are the three things that have changed marketing. And I would say marketing and sales. So every single business leader listening to this, if you're in marketing or sales, think about that. Are you behind in your understanding of what that is? And you're in 1900s or 2000, some people are still there. And how do you get to this, this new idea of end of control? And then the new story of somebody putting a gun in your mouth and, and you are able to get out of that and, and what kind of business lesson you learned. I think it's a stark reality that we all need to do that. If you're listening to this episode right now, you are beyond blessed and you have nothing that can stop you from achieving whatever you want to achieve. So if you are in a situation where you are not happy right now, just remember the situation with Eric and recognize that we have no problem. Like we, just, we can just take a giant deep breath, as you said, and, and understand it's not a big deal and, and just go with it and work on it. So, so many other things we'll have in the show notes, but Eric would love for you to share a challenge with all the leaders listening right now. So uh, one challenge I have, I've got is I've got, a, I've got a bunch, but I'm going to give you one. Make a list of all of the things you're working on. Put a little dash by the three most important and make sure that those, something small goes towards those every single day and put a star next to the one that scares you the most. And that's probably the one you need to do first. Ooh, yep. a list with dashes and asterisk and that whatever the star is, Yep. Whatever project you're working on that scares you the most, that's probably the one you need to do. I love that. Amen. Amen. I love that. Eric, thank you so much for jumping on and, and sharing that deeply personal and moving story. Uh, super inspired, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sangram. Really happy to be here. I really love talking with you. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.